0: Happy bank holiday weekend to everybody, and the sun has just come out, which is wonderful news. We're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to that, it's going to be on the screen behind as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. These are the words of Paul to the church in Corinth. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You might have seen in the news just last week, in fact, um, that Philip Hammond, the UK Foreign Secretary, was in Iran. It was in Iran. It was a very historical moment. It was in Iran to open the UK embassy in Tehran. It's been closed since 2011. And an ambassador will be on the ground in Iran for the first time. And the same is happening in the UK with an Iranian ambassador coming to the UK. Historical moment, about a month ago, something similar happened between Cuba and America, ending decades of hostility between those two countries. And in Havana, there will be a US ambassador. Ambassadors on the ground indicate that there is reconciliation and that there is good discussion between Two countries. The role of the ambassador was first established in 1815, and the ambassador's role in international law is to represent one nation in another nation. So, the US ambassador in the UK is called Matthew Barzen, and he's based at the American Embassy in Grosvenor Square in London, and he is the highest-ranking US official in the UK, and he represents the U.S. government to Her Majesty the Queen. But whether in Iran or Cuba or America or the U.K., there are some common principles, some common characteristics of an ambassador. An ambassador is a representative of another nation and their policies and their decisions. An ambassador actually has a huge amount of authority on the ground to make decisions on behalf of the country that they're representing. Also, an ambassador is always just visiting. They're never citizens of that country. They're just visiting. They're there temporarily, and they're protected. They have diplomatic immunity. They have an element of protection, again, in the country they are, but from the country they've come from. And Paul here is saying to the church in Corinth that we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we've We've heard this morning, and we've sung this morning, the good news. And last week, Ron spoke, uh, if you can download it, it was a fantastic, really encouraging word on the good news, that we are pardoned, and that God has a plan for us. And, and, and again, this morning, we're, yeah, death, where is your sting? And those wonderful words we had, that we are God's workmanship, and that the, the, the stone was rolled away, and we have nothing to fear. Yeah, this is really good news. There is a carpet of grace laid out in front of us that we can walk on. And it's crossed the enemy. And this this is just wonderful news that we we sing about, we enjoy for ourselves. and, And it's great to hear that, and it's great to embrace that for ourselves. And this morning, I want to talk about what it means to be ambassadors of that good news to other people, to our friends and our families, the people we meet at work, at the school gate, and, and, and those outside of the church. What does it mean to be an ambassador? Now, I know that as soon as we start talking about phrases like ambassadors for Christ, or sharing our faith, or the word evangelism, it can create in us a, a kind of combination, a mix of guilt and fear if we're honest. You know, fear about being in those embarrassing situations where you're, you're trying to tell somebody about church or your faith, and it all goes horribly wrong, and you get it out all right wrong, and it's just, it's just awkward. Have I got any hands? It's just, just difficult. So there's a kind of, kind of uh, slight fear there. And then there's a guilt that, you know, I'm not out there all the time sharing. There's that sense of guilt of missed opportunities. Oh, I should have said something there. It was a, it was such an obvious opportunity, and I just, I bottled it. And ah, oh. and so we hear this word evangelism or this term outreach, and uh, you know, it can make us feel a bit, a bit uncomfortable. Well, you'll be really pleased to know that this morning's title is not five top tips for evangelism for the fearful. That is not the title for today, because the reality is, we're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all evangelists. It's a gifting, of Ephesians 4, 11. Paul says these words. He says, and he, that's Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Some people do have this natural gifting. They have this just natural ability to strike up conversations in a really kind of unawkward way and share the good news with others. When Ellie and I were at a Bible school many years ago, um, on the curriculum, every Friday afternoon was evangelism afternoon. And we would go out into Horsham a Town Centre and do some evangelism, some kind of outreach, singing and talking with people. Now, uh, there was a full-time evangelist there on the staff called Dave Lamb. And Dave Lamb's a pastor now in, in Kent, but Dave Lamb was an evangelist. He had a real gifting. And he'd get us all together beforehand, and some would approach this afternoon with, yeah, we'll we'll faith, and we'll just, yeah, I'm going to love this, mostly the foreign students. I'm never going to see them again. I've got nothing to lose. So, 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 you know, some would approach that with, with a sense of with a sense of joy and excitement. Others with a sense of fear and trepidation, but it's on the curriculum. But I'm, so I'm going to go for this, but I, I'll be honest, I'm pretty nervous and, you know, I'll, I'll give it a go. And others were passionate about volunteering to stay behind and be on the prayer team. <laughs> <laughs> and that was their calling. <laughs> and that's important. That's, prayer is really important. But, you know, people have different giftings in different Abilities, not everybody is called to be an uh, an evangelist. But it's absolutely clear clear from this passage that we are all called to be ambassadors for Christ. It's not an exclusive calling. Paul says we are all ambassadors for Christ. And just like diplomatic ambassadors, we represent the kingdom of heaven and the authority of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We are citizens of a different place and we are just visiting and we have authority to speak and to act and to pray on behalf of the King of the Kingdom of Heaven, the Lord Jesus. And we have protection. We have His divine protection as well. So today I want to just share some practical ideas on how we can be ambassadors for Christ. Sociologists say that even the most introverted of people, even the most shy, retiring person that just doesn't like connecting with people and would rather just be inside, even the most introverted of people will influence up to 10,000 people in their lifetime. I don't know where they get these statistics from or how they come up with this research, but nonetheless they, they claim that even the 10,000 people that people will have influence on. And actually we know that you know, 20 years ago if you were deciding to go on holiday, the big influence would be the travel agency, and the, the brochures and the travel agent that's been to that place and that, that country and that hotel. And now, of course, we've got TripAdvisor and Expedia and Booking.com. And they are the biggest influencing factor in the decision that you'll make. If you give somebody a one-star rating, hotel was rubbish, food was rubbish, wasn't good. Or if you give somebody a five-star rating, that is having an influence. You won't know who it's influencing, but it is having an influence on other people. And, of course, people have greater influence depending on who they are And what they say. You might recall back in uh, the 90s the infamous comment made by the chief executive of the jewelry chain Ratners. So Ratner's was a very popular high street jeweler. There was probably one here in High Wycombe. It was a very popular high street jeweler's. Everyone would shop there for their, for their jewelry. And then uh, in 1991, the chief executive, Gerald Ratner, he stood up, and, and I'm quoting this, by the way, but, but he's, he stood up at an uh, Institute of Directors' talk at uh, the Royal Albert Hall, and he said these words, We also do cut class sherry decanters, complete with six glasses, on a silver-plated tray, all for $4.95, how can you sell this for such a low price, people say. And I say, quote, because it's total crap. And if that wasn't enough, the part that is not quoted, part, sorry if I offended anyone there, but the part, I'm just quoting, the part that isn't quoted often, he, he, then, he was on a bit of a roll here. He then went on to say, we also sell jewellery that's cheaper than an M&S prawn sandwich, but an M&S prawn sandwich lasts longer. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean if you if you want to if you want to have influence and you're a ceo of a company say things like that next next day the value of ratner's dropped by 500 million pounds within a few months there wasn't a ratner on the high street that is influence that is influence we all have influence And, and, you know, there's there's three main ways that we can have influence as ambassadors for Christ. A positive influence. Paul is talking about us having a a positive influence. And there's three main ways we can do that. The, The first one, which I spend most of the time on this morning, is in what we say. What we say. The words that come out of our mouth, obviously, what we say. The second one is what we do. And finally, who and what we are. So what what do we say then? What do we say? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm literally lost for words. I I don't know what to say. You know, I know I've received God's forgiveness. I've received just the wonder of his grace and his mercy, the expectation and excitement of eternal life, the the knowledge that he's walking with us every day, the the, the no fear of of death. We've just got these wonderful, wonderful experiences that we've had and truths that we're living in. But when it comes to articulating that or saying something about it, we can kind of be lost for words. We can fall short of what to say. And needless to say, the Bible has got some really practical tips on what to say. In Colossians 5, Paul writes, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, people outside of the church. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everybody. Full of grace and seasoned with salt. Now, I know there have been times when my kind of approach has been to heap on piles of salt in a conversation. So Paul here is talking about seasoning a conversation with salt, having a conversation that's full of grace, that is not judgmental, but actually listening and full of grace, and then seasoning with salt. And my wife Ellie would tell you that sometimes I'm not the most subtle of people um, in conversations, and um, apologies for that. But when I I was uh, quite a new Christian, I was really just, I just got this revelation of being safe from hell and, and, you know, eternal life. And so I I was having conversations with people where I was literally piling on, shovel loads of salt into the conversation. And there was very little grace as well. And, you know, I, I was telling friends and family all about the reality of heaven and hell and judgment, but specifically for them. <laughs> you know? And I, I look back now, slightly cringing. You'll be pleased now I've gone back and clarified things to those people since. And we're still talking, so that's absolutely fine. But at the time, I was, you know, there was just not much grace. And there was not much seasoning of salt. And Paul here is talking about a wisdom and a seasoning in the conversation, Uh, just the way in which we talk and interact with people. That's not to say that we dilute the truth of the the gospel, that we, we don't dilute the reality of God's judgment. We don't dilute the reality of heaven and hell and an eternity with God or an eternity apart from God. We don't dilute the the truth of what Jesus won for us on the cross and the suffering that him and the Father went through to win that for us. We don't dilute that. But there is a wisdom in seasoning conversations with grace and with the salt of the good news. I think sometimes, and I look back to myself then, I think that, you know, we think that as ambassadors for Christ, to be successful ambassadors for Christ, we have to clinch the deal success is measured we uh, from school from an early age success is measured did you win or did you lose did you get the full marks or did you get a, uh, an under full marks success is very measurable in life and the danger is is that we put that attitude towards success to being ambassadors for Christ surely a successful ambassador for Christ will share the good news with somebody and that person will listen they will hear. They will respond immediately. They will say, what do I need to be saved? They will be baptized that following Sunday. And that is actually, we can get into that way of thinking about being ambassadors for Christ. And that actually can be discouraging when we, we don't sometimes see the response that we're hoping for. Oh, you go to church, do you? Are you a Christian? Yeah. Finally, yes, I'm a Christian. My, my auntie's a Christian as well. And, you know, it helps her too. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad. I really admire you having a faith. And, um, you know, it's really good for you. It's not for me, but, um, you know, if it helps you in life, that's great. Thanks a lot. Bye. Do you want another coffee? And that can be the response that we sometimes see. And that can be discouraging. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. You know, this speaks of time and patience. And again, Ron reminded of this last week. He said some people have a Damascus Road experience. They are saved and, and just respond there and then. Others, 40, 50 years of a journey of discovery and a journey of coming to faith in Christ. And in his book, What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest, James Engel sets out these steps that typically people will go through in coming to faith in Jesus. And I'm not saying, of course, that the Holy Spirit is limited to an evangelical theory on on this in any way, but it's useful to understand that there are steps that people typically go through Uh, awareness of a supreme being to an initial awareness of the gospel, and then an embracing of the implications of the gospel for that individual, and then an acceptance of the truth of the gospel for that individual, and then a response to the gospel for that individual. And different people are at different stages along the scale. Some have an awareness of a supreme being, some are denying that at this stage, but the way we season's conversations with salt can bring people along the journey to faith. And success as ambassadors for Christ is that we represent the good news. That's how we measure success, that we represent the good news. Success isn't necessarily that we see the results that we're hoping for. One one preacher said, the win is showing the love of God. Let God deal with the outcome. The win is showing the love of God. Let God deal with the outcome. And I know from my experience, when I came to faith, there would have been many people along the way that would have walked away from conversations with me Totally discouraged and totally, what's the point? Where's the hope? And, you know, the reality is seeds were planted and another watered, and then God gave the increase. So we can let our conversations be seasoned with grace. One really practical way to do this, um, and I think this is a great tip from Amy or Erring You might have heard of Amy or Euring. She's from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, and she talks about use of questioning. I mean, every good conversation needs questions. We've got two ears and one mouth for a reason, and you know, every every good connection with people it uses questions. Jesus used 157 questions recorded in the New Testament. Where have you laid him? Do you want to be well? And of course, the ultimate question, who do you say I am? Jesus would always use questions, because questions reveal what's going on in people's heart. Questions reveal people's motives. Questions give people the opportunity to express what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Questions are really powerful, and we can, we can use questions in our conversations, not in a kind of, are you, are you ready for the, uh, for the, for the rapture? No, I mean, you know, we're, we're not questions of that, of that nature, of course, but actually, you know, just questions of what, what's your, and we've just, this is one, we did the, 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 the series here where we, we ask people to ask their questions of, of, of the Christian faith. Why does God allow suffering? You know, these are really great. The Alpha course is based on a lot of questions, and the questions that we can ask people in conversations might be just along the lines of a simple question. So, so why is it you, you feel that way about Christianity? What's, what's been your experience of Christianity and the church that, that's made you think that way? Or what's your, what's your understanding of, of, of the, the Christian message? What's your understanding of, of, of Christmas and Easter? Or what would, it, what would it take to make you believe in God? What is it that, you know, what would make you believe? We can just ask questions, not in, a, again, a, a condemning way or but just in a gracious way, and, and, and Amy talks about the, just the, the gift and the skill and the ability that we all have just to, just to ask questions in, in conversations. You know, we've got an Alpha Taste tonight on the 24th of September. Make a note of that, and it's, um, it's going to be up here at the center, um, starting at 7.30 till 9. But one of the questions that you could ask people is, have you heard of the Alpha Course? It's advertised on the Tube in London. It's, you know, you might have, have you heard of Bear Grills? He's done the Alpha Course. Have you heard of the Alpha Course? No, what's it about? Or you could just go straight for it and say, what are you doing on the 24th of September at 7.30? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what are you doing? And, you know, if they, if they say, well, I you know, I, boxercise. I do boxer size on Thursday nights, that's fine, it's fine. You know, if they say, I'm not interested, I'm not remotely interested in, no, sorry, no chance, not, that's fine. Because you never know, they might go home and Google Alpha just to see what it's about. They might just recall that question, that conversation. We don't need to clinch the deal to be successful ambassadors for Christ. We have conversations that are seasoned with salt and full of grace. The other thing that we do is, and this is, this is, you know, we've heard about this already with Bag Sunday. Is the things, the the, the, the way that we act towards other people. We've got Bag Sunday coming up. We've got. All sorts that we do in the church here, the, the work we do with the mums and toddlers, the great outreach, the student meals, the, the just, we just do so much in the church that's so many involved in, and it's great because this is the things that we are doing to be ambassadors for Christ. There's one particular thing I want us to focus in on that we can do here, and that is the, the do, the action of showing hospitality. Showing hospitality. You know, hospitality is something that we can all do. If you've got a kettle and you've got some tea bags, we can show hospitality. If you've got a shop nearby you and you can buy some really nice biscuits, we can show hospitality. If you're you know, in for the great British bake-off or MasterChef and you want to really go for it, but we can show hospitality. And you know, it's not about the quality of what we serve up. People love to be shown hospitality. People just love to be invited around. I mean, we love it. You know, someone you want to come around for a coffee and some cake, just a piece of cake, it's that simple. We can just show hospitality. It's not, it's not a difficult thing to do. And again, it doesn't have to be, you know, this is my chance, this is my moment. Great, I've got this moment. I, I remember... Um, Adrian Holloway once spoken about speaking about. It. Adrian's spoken here, he's a pastor of Church of Christ the King in London, and he's an author as well. And he talks about um, inviting uh, him and his wife invited uh, all the neighbours around for a barbecue. And, you know, they were new into the neighbourhood, they invited them all around for the barbecue. And what, what Adrian spoke to me that really actually is quite inspiring, actually, he said, when everyone's come round, you do not need to take the opportunity then to bang on the glass and say, I'm glad I've got you all here now. Um, this burger represents man and God. The bottom layer is, is man, and the top layer is God, and the burger in between is your sin. <laughs> and we all have this sin, and it's a problem. <laughs> but when we remove the burger, and I put the ketchup on, and he says, no, you don't need to do that when you've got people around. It's showing hospitality and just reaching out, and just, you know, just, Jesus was so sociable. He, he just was so sociable. And, and Ellie and I, when we moved into our, our new house a few years ago in Hazelmere, we, d- we knew no one in the street. And so we thought, well, why not? don't it was near Christmas, let's invite people around for, for mince pies and mulled wine, with some trepidation, because we didn't know anybody. I'd advise you to do this at Christmas time rather than any other time. Uh, but nonetheless, we sent the boys up the road, the time when the boys were happy just to do chores like that, as, as they still are, of course. But we sent them up... <laughs> We sent the boys up the road with some flyers, just you know, moved into number 24. Please do come round, uh, mince pies and mulled wine. And um, so 5 to 7 arrives, and Ellie and I are nervously waiting in the kitchen, not knowing what's going to happen. Uh, we'd written some um, name cards with people's names and numbers, because people, some people didn't even know each other next door. So um, doorbell rings. First couple arrive, hi, come in, come in. Doorbell just kept ringing. We had 24 people who we'd never met before in, in the house. And it was great. It was a really good, you know, it was a really good evening, and we've had some great conversations from that. And I'm not saying this is the only way. And sometimes that's just not practical. It, you know, it just not might have, it just might not be the thing to do. But it was just for us, it just worked. And it was, it wasn't a difficult thing to do. It was initially in terms of the let's get the flyers out there, but actually, it really was an effective way um, to to connect with people. And you know, it's in that then conversations have have arisen. And we've had some fantastic conversations. In fact, that evening, the couple stayed back really late. And they were talking about the Alpha course. They'd done an Alpha course. We had some really great conversations just from just being open and showing hospitality. So whether for you it's just inviting a friend round for a, for a coffee or a tea, or just doing something hospitable, hospitable just let's, let's be encouraged to this. You know, The reason Jesus spent so much time out with people was because the sick need a doctor. And he was accused of, uh, by the Pharisees, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus was always out there meeting with people and, and, and in those having those conversations. So we mustn't be afraid to be, to be sociable. And I know that loads of us are doing this, and it's great, but I'll just encourage you, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Just keep connecting with people keep speaking with people, keep creating those opportunities where you can have conversations, which you can then season with salt. So we've looked at what we say and we've looked at what we do. The, the final thing I want to look at is, in terms of how we can influence people as ambassadors, is what we are. I, I read a quote earlier this week, actually, which is a bit of a, an eye-opener, but the quote was, some, for some people, the only Bible they will read is your life. <clears throat> you know? For some people, the only Bible they read is your life as a Christian. And people watch you. People will see how you respond. People will see how you react in a situation. People are interested in how you respond and react in a situation. Not to say we should be worried or fearful about that, but the reality is what we are in a given situation Will be a positive influence on those around us. And the one, what we are, I really want to look at now very quickly is the, the what we are of being unified. Being unified, of having unity. Jesus prayed this prayer about us, the church. He said in John 17, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's all of us. That all of them may be one Father so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them, even as you have loved me. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. And Jesus is praying here that the unity that we have, as the body of Christ, as the church, that the unity that we have speaks to others. It speaks of God's love. It speaks of his grace. The unity speaks of the miracle of grace that we've heard of this morning. And if you think about it, church, it's a miracle. It is an absolute miracle. We have so many diversities of of backgrounds here, and views, and opinions, and some support Chelsea and some support Arsenal and some support Spurs and some hate football and some love athletics and some like cooking and others don't and some have one opinion to this political leaning and others have a political leaning to this way and some people don't drink and some people do drink. And we have so many different views and opinions in one place just in High Wycombe across two meetings. It's phenomenal. You know, but yet we are blessed with such a unity here. It's, it is a miracle. There's not factions in infighting and, and, and division. There is just unity. And amongst the eldership, we've got seven, seven guys in the eldership with different backgrounds and different views. And believe it or not, we don't always see eye to eye on everything. But we have a great unity. We're blessed with a unity. And it's a, it's a, it's a work of God. It's a work of his grace that we have this unity here. And um, we don't want to ever take that for granted. You know, in any battle, there is taking the territory, and then there's keeping the territory. There's keeping that territory of unity. And we will all play our part in that keeping the territory of unity. And especially as we branch out into a second sight, and as we, as we embrace the vision that we've got for this church, there will be change. There will be things that maybe some people don't completely agree with, or don't completely go with. And, and, you know, but, but we have a unity. We protect that unity. And we believe that God's given us that unity. And that unity speaks to the world around us. And, and Paul said in Romans 14, fourteen don't quarrel over disputable matters. And, and Nicky Gumbel, uh, just, he wrote the Alpha Course, but he, he has got this brilliant take on this whole topic. And he puts it this way. There are certain matters over which Paul was willing to fight to the death. The truth of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and the lordship of Christ. The need to resist temptation and flee from sexual immorality, lust and greed. These are non-negotiables. They are indisputable matters of faith. However, Paul writes that there are other things that are not nearly as important. They are disputable matters. They are secondary areas. Today, some Christians abstain from alcohol, others do not. Some Christians are pacifists, others are not. Some Christians will say, I will not go near a shop on a Sunday, and others will walk into B&Q on a Sunday afternoon, conscience-free. These are disputable matters. And Nikki suggests this. Welcome those with different views. Do not be quick to judge or look down on others. Do what you think is right with a clear conscience whilst being sensitive about other people's consciences. Assume the best about other people's motives. Help and encourage one another and always act in love. That is great just, just advice there about living in unity but being unified around the indisputable matters of faith, the indisputable matters of what Christ won for us on the cross, the indisputable matters that we are called to be ambassadors, representing his good news to others. So let's play our part to be unified, that the world will see, as Jesus prayed, that he loves us and that he loves them, because our unity speaks volumes to the world around us. Now, I started this morning talking about ambassadors in Iran and Cuba and the UK, and the ambassador really comes into his or her own when there is hostility between the two countries. That is when the ambassador is working you know, 24-7 to bring back unity. And when there's an ambassador still on the ground in that country, there is still hope. And we know that there is hostility from man to God. It is the hostility of sin. It is the hostility of going it our own way. It is the hostility of, I don't need a God, and it is the hostility of the culture in which we live in. There is hostility between man and God, but there is a passion from God to be reconciled to man, and he sent his son Jesus to make that possible. There is a, a, a deep love in his heart for people to be reconciled to him, and we have that ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation. And the King has not removed his ambassadors from the earth. There are still millions of ambassadors from the Kingdom of Heaven on earth, in this room, across Wickham, across Bucks, across the UK, across Europe, across the world. There are millions of ambassadors on the ground being representatives of the good news and bringing people into reconciliation between God and man. So we do not need to be discouraged. Don't think that hope is lost for your neighbors and your friends and your family members that you have been praying for. They are on the journey. Let's keep being ambassadors. Let's keep doing what we can do to season our conversations, to act in a way which is just hospitable and bringing people into conversation. And by showing a deep, deep unity amongst each other. And prayer is a fundamental part. I joked earlier about those that stayed behind to pray. But prayer is fundamental. I've heard it once said that before you talk to somebody about God, talk to God about that person. And prayer is such a powerful thing on On the 15th of September, and we'll be announcing it next week and the week after as well, but on the 15th of September, we're going to be joining uh, Christians all over the UK at our Alpha Prayer Live event over in the West End Hall. We'll be live streaming from... Holy Trinity Brompton, and we'll be led in prayer for the Alpha Courses that are running all over the country, and for our friends and our family, and that's, a, that's going to be a powerful evening. So if you've got people that you want to pray for, if you've got people that are on your heart, we we'll encourage you, come along to that on the 15th, it's, a, it's going to be an hour and a half on, on a Tuesday evening, come along to that in the West End Hall, and there'll be more announcements about that next week and the week after, but prayer is fundamental to all of this. But really deeper and even more fundamental to all of this, and to finish, is that we don't do any of this out of guilt. We don't do any of this out of a sense of fear and trepidation. But we do this out of God's love. Paul begins that passage by saying it's the love of Christ that compels us. And we need to pray that actually we'll have the love of Christ. That we are compelled by his love for those around us, his love for the lost. And that his love is the foundation. Because his love will win. And his power will break through. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm just going to end in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being ambassadors for you. Father, we thank you that you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. And Father, we thank you that you've given us all that we need. Lord, we do pray that you would help us, help us to be ambassadors for you, help us to be filled with your love and your passion for those around us who are lost, and give us wisdom and give us boldness, in Jesus' name, amen.